All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us here at uh, Bible Baptist Church here in Kingsport, Tennessee. And uh, my name is Matt Galvin, and I am, uh, plenty of you know, but uh, some of you might just be joining us tonight for live stream. And uh, I'm not the pastor here. I'm actually uh, visiting and preaching uh, some special services this week. Uh, we had a good uh, morning service to kind of start us off this morning. And then um, we're going to be having uh, special services uh, uh, tomorrow and Tuesday night and Wednesday night. So if you're able to uh, have availability any of those next three nights, we're going to have some special services, some extra music. And uh, as, one, as one pastor I know said, he just said, just come on out. Get, I think it would do you some good to get some extra Bible, some extra music, some extra fellowship. So we'd love to have you. And, um, you know, the church is being very careful with um, uh, to make sure everyone's safe. And so I would encourage you, if you haven't been able to come out and visit Bible Baptist Church, I encourage you to do so. And uh, like I said, my name is Matt Galvin, and I travel full-time in evangelism. So I travel uh, from church to church this last summer, uh, or this last few weeks I was, has been the summer, and I've been in youth camps in uh, different states here in the United States, and uh, getting to preach to young people there, to juniors and to teenagers, and uh, it's just been great to be able to do that. But uh, we're glad um, that we're here now uh, throughout the school semesters. I preach in churches and then in Christian schools in uh, different places across the U.S., and, uh, and so uh, I hope that tonight will be a blessing to you, and I hope it will really um, encourage you and change you, um, because we don't want, uh, as one preacher said, uh, I don't want to know if you've been challenged. I want to know if you've been changed. And so, um, so I hope that every message you will hear will change you. And I encourage you to come out uh, to these services and because uh, we start at seven o'clock and we'll do our best probably we should be out uh, no later than eight fifteen. Uh, that way if you have um, you have work in the morning or something you can get home right away and you know you can be at home by eight thirty. you want to go to bed uh, just a few minutes after that you can do that and still be at the services i don't want you to think that it's going to be uh, these extremely long services we'll come in we'll have some music and uh, enjoy a little bit of fellowship and then we'll get right to the preaching and uh, we'll let you and then we'll let you go so um, but I hope that every message this week will really impact you and will change you, okay? So uh, let's go ahead and, um, you know what, let's go to Revelation chapter 2. I'm sorry I didn't mention that earlier. If you would turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 2 is where we'll be. And we'll be reading maybe some familiar uh, scripture to you. And uh, let's start in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Unto the angel... Of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So let's go ahead and let's pray, and uh, we'll jump into it. Lord, uh, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. Holy Spirit, we want your 
presence here. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me and that you would speak through me. Um, we pray that you would um, illuminate the scriptures to us and convict every heart where there needs to be conviction and comfort each one that needs comfort. And we just pray that you would um, dispel the lies of our enemy and that you would greatly um, bless each person just for having <coughs> um, listened to the preaching of your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in the book of Revelation, you know, when we think of the book of Revelation, do we not often think about, uh, you know, we think about prophecy. And for good reason, because the book of Revelation is just packed full of prophecy, telling us about things that will be coming up in the future. Um, but God does something kind of neat in uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3. He takes some time and addresses several churches in the Asia Minor area, uh, seven different churches, and addresses different things, some needs that each one of these churches had in their particular area. And he starts off in chapter 2 by addressing the church uh, that was in the city of Ephesus. Now let me kind of uh, introduce you to the city of Ephesus. Um, Ephesus, politically, uh, was a very powerful city. It was located... Uh, in modern-day western Turkey, and Ephesus was the capital city of Asia Minor. Uh, any you know, capital cities today are big places. They have a lot of things going on. And so, and so you can imagine, though, especially in ancient times, when you have a capital city, there is a lot of stuff going on inside of that city. Uh, the, the city of Ephesus was also the gateway to the Orient for both the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire. So if you wanted to get uh, to, uh, to China and to the, the nations of the Orient and do the trading that was involved there, you had to pass through Ephesus. Ephesus. Uh, if you were going to um, uh, go there, whether you were Greece or Rome, you went through Ephesus. It was a city with a population of around 300,000 people, and it was actually a place where they had um, uh, a set of games called the Pan-Ionian Games, which were actually kind of, it was almost like having a rival league to the, um, uh, to the regular Olympic Games. That's how big this city was politically. Uh, economically, uh, the city of Ephesus was a major uh, Aegean port for the Asia Minor, and it was a spot where there's a convergence of two highways, major highways. Now, religiously, often you think, uh, you know, when we think of uh, a world, we think of they're pagan, you know, so many unsaved people, you know, in this ancient world. Just because a people is pagan doesn't mean that they don't have religion. Actually, the city of Ephesus uh, was very, very religious. Uh, there was um, uh, the temple to the goddess Diana was located in this city at one time it was one of the seven wonders of the world it was about a football uh, field length uh, had 127 columns going down this temple that were 60 feet high and the temple would bring in half a million people every year that would come to worship uh, there at the temple as well as for lack of a better term they would also buy idols in the temple's gift shop and uh, they'd spend this time here um, really bowing down and worshiping the false god of Diana. Now the city of Ephesus is also mentioned at different points in our scriptures. Uh, in the city, in the uh, book of Acts, Acts chapter 19 gives us um, several things that happen in the city of Ephesus that you might remember uh, if you know your Bible. For example, the book burning. If you remember after those, um, uh, those sons of Siva had uh, been, uh, you know, tried to cast out a demon uh, who, you know, with using Jesus' name, which they didn't even believe in and then they were kicked out and there was that big book burning where people realized that uh, you know jesus 
was a real God and that, uh, that he was in charge. Well, they brought out their magic books with black magic in them and burned them in a public setting. That was in the city of Ephesus. There was the, um, the riot. Uh, you, pro- you might remember the riots where they said, Great is Diana of the Ephesians, where the people gathered together and had this riot uh, for two hours. Uh, there in the, that was also located in the city of Ephesus. But in spite of, you know, here's a city that has such a pagan culture. Here's a city that has um, so many uh, you know, the business things and political things and economic things, distractions, a lot of false teaching. You know what's neat is this is where God planted a church. God set up a church in the city of Ephesus, and here we are. Now, when that church was set up, we're talking, uh, then when the book of Revelation was scripted down by the Apostle John, we're talking about, you know, maybe, uh, I don't remember the exact year, but we could have had as much as maybe 40 uh, years that had passed uh, between uh, when this church had started and when John is, is being used of God as Jesus, uh, as God communicates this scripture in Revelation chapter 2 to the Apostle John. As much as 40 years may have passed since that church was started. So the church, while still in a pagan culture, was established, and there were even second generation Christians that were now um, at this church <clears throat> in Ephesus. Now, Whenever, um, uh, whenever uh, in, this, in this book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3, when God addresses these different churches, one of the things that he does is that he kind of always handles it kind of the same way and addresses various things in order as he addresses these different churches and he encourages them in different things and rebukes them in other things. So we're going to go through uh, every one of these churches has five uh, different ways that things that God addresses as he goes through. So we'll look at those five and then we'll be done looking at the church at Ephesus. So first, first of all, tonight I want you to see Christ's characteristic. Christ's characteristic. Every time that God would um, approach a church, and he would address them here in Revelation 2 and in Revelation 3, he always brought out a specific characteristic about himself that he felt like was important for them to know. You know, sometimes there would be, um, you know, sometimes you always know God is good. You always know God is powerful. You always know God is in control. But are there not certain times when you're really you really need to know and remember a specific characteristic of God. Well, uh, that's what uh, God was doing with each one of these churches. He says, I have a characteristic that you need uh, that will help you to remember about me in the situation we're in. So look at verse 1. He says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write. So he addresses this letter to the angel, which you might say, oh, does, does every church have their own angel? Well, I I don't know that I could say that. Most Bible scholars, because the word, the Greek word, that's translated here as angel, is also translated in in other sections uh, as a messenger, a human messenger. And so more than likely when it says, uh, when uh, he says he's writing this to to the angel of the church of Ephesus, more than likely this is probably the pastor, as opposed to every church having their own personal angel or something like that. So he says to the pastor, he says, under the angel or the pastor of the church of Ephesus, Write these things. And look how God describes himself. He says, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So, you know, we read that, especially Revelation is full of pictures and of metaphors and of prophecies. And, you know, uh, we look at that and we think, Oh my goodness, what are the seven stars? What are the candlesticks? You know something? 
is that actually sometimes with prophecy, uh, sometimes scripture answers its own metaphors if you just read other scripture. You want to know what the seven stars are? We'll just flip the page back and look one about two verses back at uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse number 20. It says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Okay, so uh, the seven stars, just another name for, uh, for, for the pastor, again, uh, which he referred to it as an angel. Here he refers to it as a star. Uh, pastor, I hope you're listening because uh, so far we're about uh, barely 10 minutes into this thing. You're already an angel and a star. I hope you're appreciating this. And so he says, he describes himself as, I am the one that holds the seven stars, the seven pastors in my hand. Get a picture of that. God says to this church at Ephesus, I hold this, the pastors, these seven churches, I hold them in my hand. Um, that, just to be brief, but you know, that says something important about our pastors. What a comfort to know uh, that they're cradled in the hands of God. And what a comfort, uh, what an instruction to us to remember uh, that we need to be, uh, that if they're cradled in the hand of God, uh, they're, you know, God's tool god's messenger god's um, uh, instrument for us today that we need but he also describes himself here he says i hold the seven stars the seven pastors in my right hand but he says i also walk in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks you say brother matt what are the seven golden candlesticks real simple flip back again to revelation 120 very end says the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches so he holds the seven pastors in his hand, and it says he walks in the midst. God says, I walk in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I walk in the midst of the church, uh, of the churches. You know, when I hear it, and I think, okay, Jesus says, I'm walking in the midst of these churches. You almost get the idea of having, should we say, an inspector, or having someone who is observing and watching over everything that is happening. Maybe even like... Uh, like, we, like I use the word, like an inspector. Uh, if you're like me, I worked in a grocery store for, um, uh, for quite a few years since I was from age 15 to age 28. I held a job in a grocery store, and especially the last three years, the, the different grocery store I worked at, I, we had people coming through, inspectors, not just managers, but I mean, we had uh, regional directors and the health department and some extra health department that wasn't even the health department that we hired to come in and inspect us. We had inspectors coming through all the time to look at things and see how things were doing to make sure that we were doing things right. And you know, you know they were always the ones they could find. If there was something wrong, they found it. And even if we were doing something, it felt like sometimes we were doing something right, uh, they still found a way that that was wrong, something like that. Now, thankfully, God is not like those inspectors. But know this, is that when God walks in the midst of the churches, he knows. He knows them. He knows the strong points. He knows the weak points. He understands each one of those churches. And yet, and yet he still loves each one of them. But he knows and he sees all things in the churches you know something god knows and sees through everything here at bible baptist church he does he knows every bit of it and there's not one thing now you may have faked out your friends you may have faked out your pastor but know this you have not faked out jesus christ and he knows where there's hypocrisy and where there's not he knows who is serving the lord out of love and he knows who does not 
He knows who has hidden certain things to the sides that no one sees them, and he knows who has not. Who has not. God knows these things, and he says, I am the one who holds the seven stars in my hand, the pastors, and I walk in the midst of the seven churches. So that's Christ's characteristic. Here's number two. It is Christ's compliment. One thing Jesus does in almost with almost all of these churches is that he does compliment some, them on something and Ephesus is a church that gets a lot of compliments he says in verse number two I know thy works he says and thy labor the word labor there is a word that means obviously work or toil but it specifically means work that reduces your strength you know how um, sometimes, sometimes the work we do, we enjoy it. Even though, I don't know, we might be a little tired, we might be a little drained, sometimes there's work that we do that we, we love it, and so it's not really work at all. It doesn't feel like work at all. Um, but you know that sometimes there's things you have to do that just drain you? That's what the word labor is. He says, I know that you work hard church at Ephesus I know how you labor and you labor so hard it reduces your strength in other words this was a church that served this was a church that worked hard if we could have um, taken the first Baptist church of Ephesus and put it into today's culture you know this would have been the church that had the big old choir this would have been the church that had lots of special music in every service this would have been the church with a professional usher crew with a, with the sound service this church would have had parking lot directors would have had a lively junior church now this church would have had an enthusiastic song leader would have had a visitation program would have had greeters would have had some, you know an intricate awana program would have had an incredible vacation bible school would have, this church would have had multiple youth activities and community service probably would have done nursing home service services and jail services and door-to-door -door evangelism i mean this church if it was today it would have probably done all of that and maybe more i mean they were busy they were working hard and you notice this too is that they did it all verse three says that was born has had patience and for my name's sake has labored in other words they did it for god they did it for the lord and uh, all for the glory of god and you know what jesus says to a church that was working hard and, and, and was involved in all these different kinds of ministries and did all these different kinds of things until their strength was gone. You know what Jesus says to them? Good job. Thank you. He compliments them for them. He says, I know your works and I know your labor and I know that you do it for the glory of God. Let me just say this. Uh, if you're involved a lot in serving here at church and you're involved in you know serving the lord in different ministries that get people under the preaching of the bible that get unsaved people here can i just tell you what jesus says to you in revelation 2 good job and thank you that's what jesus says to you he he doesn't say stop it he he says he says thank you for it. he compliments them on that i mean the church today could sure learn a lesson from this uh, the mentality of the church at Ephesus. Uh, they, he also compliments them and compliments their endurance. He says in verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. Verse number 3, thou hast born and hast patience. The word patience means uh, to, to uh, have endurance. In other words, they kept on going even when they may have felt like not going. Uh, verse 2 then says that Christ also compliments they had an intolerance for sin verse number two says how thou canst not bear them which are evil what are them which are evil real simple evil doers in other words the church at ephesus would not tolerate 
evil doers. Now, this is important because the city of Ephesus was a very immoral city. There's a lot of wickedness that went in, probably a lot of corruption that was there as well. Uh, you know, probably thievery and bribery. There was definitely a lot of just sexual immorality. There was a lot of sinful things going on. And you know something? The sin of the community and of the culture around them was not welcome in the church at Ephesus. The people were but sin was not welcome amongst the church members. You know what God says about that? Good job. He says, thank you. He says, thank you for being a church that has kept the immorality, that has kept the drunkenness, that has kept the criminal activity, that has kept it all out. Now, obviously, you know, uh, when, when someone gets saved, they're not, none of us is perfect, especially when someone first gets saved, they're learning how to do right. I understand, we got to give some grace, and we got to, um, uh, we shouldn't expect perfection on day one, because we were not, and um, uh, we don't, uh, not every Christian changes immediately overnight. The Bible says that uh, as a newborn babe grows, that's how a Christian also grows grow we don't expect babies uh to uh, be doing mature things at age after only being a baby for uh, a human for four years uh you know the same thing with a christian you know it takes time but you know amongst these you know some of these christians that have been there for 40 years they didn't tolerate sin amongst themselves and god says good job but he also compliments them for their rejection of false teachers verse number two he says thou canst not bear them which are evil and he says and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars verse six he gives an example of them says for example the nicolaitans in other words he says to the church thank you that you can identify a false apostle when they show up in other words this church, they knew their doctrine, and they knew their Bibles. After about, you know, 40 years of being a church, these Christians knew their Bibles, and they knew how to defend their Bibles, and they knew how to spot false teachers. You know, it is... Um, it's got to be frustrating. I know it frustrates me. It's got to be frustrating to pastors especially. Where here you are, folks. You're here and you're underneath the, the preaching of God's word. And yet, you, some of you allow false teachers to come in on your TV and on your radio. And it's really, really sad. You do know that not every TV preacher is worth your time. Or, and it's not necessarily all, they aren't all real preachers. Okay, you know what the church at Ephesus could do? They could listen to preaching and they could immediately know this guy is a false teacher or he is not. And they knew it because they knew their Bibles. They were not, you know, the culture today wants us to be broad and open-minded. Can I tell you something? The church is to be as, as narrow-minded, let me say it this way, as narrow-minded as God is. And if God says, this is sin, this is not, if God says, this is truth, and this is lie, we stand on what is truth. And by the way, that's not bigotry, that's not being weird, that is actually being normal when you'll actually stand on truth. And so these people were not these broad, open-minded people who took in any idea, they were careful and weighed everything by the Bible. But here's number three. After Christ gave them his characteristic and he complimented them, then we see number three, Christ rebuke because after complimenting them saying thank you that you serve so hard thank you for enduring thank you for not tolerating sin thank you for knowing your doctrine he says in verse number four nevertheless oh huh. says you know in spite of all that he says i have somewhat against thee 
He says, you know, all that other stuff that was so nice, that was so good, but we've got a problem. Do you ever, um, maybe this, you know, I guess it shows up sometimes in the marriage, in marriage too, but definitely in the dating, uh, in, in the dating game. You ever notice, something, maybe you've been in one of those talks where uh, you know, especially you guys, you know something's wrong and uh, your wife, your girlfriend, they just will not open up to you. And when you finally are sitting down, you're talking about something and you're like, is, all, is there something wrong with me? Am I doing this? And, and, and she lists off, oh no, I love how you do this and this and this and this and this. And this. It's so nice. But we got a big problem. You know, it doesn't matter how many of the other things, good things you can do right, but if there's one problem, it's enough to overshadow all the other good stuff you're doing. And you know what God says? There was, at the church of Ephesus, he says, there is a problem so big, he says, really? It overshadows all that work you're doing. All that doctrine that you know. All that sin that you, do, that you will not tolerate, he says, there's this one problem that is so big, it's really just kind of overshadowing. And he says, and I have somewhat against you. In other words, I, I have to hold this against you. And notice what he says it was. Verse number four. You left your first love. And that's it. Thou hast left thy first love. That's it. That's it. He says, that is big enough that in spite of the fact that you have, you know, all the choir and special music and visitation programs and Awanas and junior church and youth group and camp and, 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 and visitation, all these things, he says, the fact that you have left your, quote, first love is about enough that it overshadows all that other good stuff. Well, that makes me immediately say, what does it mean to leave your first love? Well, the word left, you know, that's simple. It means to abandon. It means to let go of something it's actually a word similar to the word that we use for the word forgive it's the same word actually sorry as the word forgive it means to let something go in other words leaving the first love was not something that just kind of oh it happened i didn't even know it was happening it was something that was intentionally done by the christians at the church of ephesus he says you have left now he says this he says your first love um, now, now, I want to use this picture because I think this really illustrates what does it mean when God says your first love? Because I think this helps us understand this. Now, uh, if you're married or you've been married at some point, this will make a, a lot of sense to you. And even if you're not married, this will, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll understand this as well. But um, the idea here is when it says first love, you can almost take that phrase and pop it out and put a different phrase that we use today, honeymoon love. You ever... You ever use that phrase, heard that phrase? Honeymoon love. You know, right after someone gets married, we describe it as honeymoon love. That's the first love in marriage. You know what there is when it comes to, um, uh, when it comes to uh, honeymoon love? Is there's this big enthusiasm about each other. I mean, people, the, the couple is just all wound up and enthusiastic about each other. You know, it doesn't matter what, they, what they're doing. Remember those days? You know, for us, uh, we've been mar- we just had our sixth uh, anniversary about eight days ago. Some of you, you've been married uh, 15, 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 years, okay? Uh, try to remember back, okay? Remember those first, first few days, those first few weeks and months where, I mean, you didn't care what you did so long as you were together. 
It didn't, buy, it didn't matter at all. <laughs> Things were rough. If you had a nice home, not so nice home, nice place to eat, not such a nice place to eat. So long as you were together, you were just excited and wound up about it. And you remember when you'd do anything for your spouse, you'd wash the dishes, you'd rearrange your schedule. That was a big thing. Rearranging your schedule so that you had more time together. You did everything together. And, this to, and you did not care who knew that you were in love. Remember that? Um, especially when I was, um, when my wife and I were first married and we were at our church, uh, we, we really enjoyed, um, we just really enjoyed being just a little bit gross, especially in front of the teenagers, because we had waited, we kept, really kept ourselves pure, and we had waited, and so now that we're married, you know, it's legal, right? So we, we didn't care who knew about it. And uh, we had one teenager, oh, every time, you know, I'd come in, I'd kiss my wife on the head, or I'd say something really gushy or something, she'd always go, aw, bleh. You know, she was, you know, she was like, you know, that's cute, but that's nasty too. You know, can you like, you know, maybe like shut the door or something like that, or, you know, not talk in front of, blah. you know, cute, but blah. You know, we didn't care who saw us. We didn't care. Uh, we wanted everyone to know that we were in love and we were wound up and just so excited about each other. And, uh. Then this thing came along, and it was called life. You know, and then there's, um, then often, what happens? You know, we still care about the person, but what happens? That honeymoon love gets blocked by work, kids, new friends, uh, hobbies, and all of a sudden, these things that are not necessarily bad in themselves, they come in, and they block out that honeymoon love. Now, kind of take the honeymoon love and put it into your Christianity. Remember when you first got saved? Remember when you were all wound up about your relationship with God and you'd do anything for Him? Remember uh, when you were, you know, you'd do anything God would ask. You'd serve, you'd witness, you'd speak for him, you'd give up your time, you'd do visitation, you were fervent in prayer, you'd be in your devotions, you'd do anything, especially anything so that you could have a part of a relationship with God. And your faith was on open, your, on open display and you wanted all the time with God that you could possibly get. And you wanted it, you craved it, you desired it, you wanted it for yourself because you were just so enjoying a relationship with Jesus. And then what happened? Life happened. Same things. Work. Kids. Friends. Hobbies. Somehow, <coughs> they all kind of crowd out God. Now, I remember when I was engaged, I remember a, a friend of mine saying to me, he said, Matt, no matter what happens, he says, don't ever lose the wonder that you have for your wife, especially in, these first, in, these, in this first year, especially as you're married. He said, don't ever lose the wonder that you have for her and that she will be yours forever. Now, sometimes we really just take advantage, don't we, of the fact that Jesus said, I'll always be there. So we fit him in and a relationship with him when it works for us. You know, how long, how long does a marriage last? How long does it last well? When you fit in your spouse, wherever she fits. 
Well, you know, if you can kind of make time for him, then that's where you put him. How long is a marriage like that going to last? Not long. Not long, at all, really, at all. And, you know, these older, um, these older folks who are, um, you know, that have these marriages that last a while, I remember um, one, uh, I remember one, seeing a video of this man, 93-year-old man, his wife was dying, and watching this, 93 years old, he's with his wife, they're in the hospital, and um, he's, uh, he's singing some song to her that was like, you know, they played some song that sounded like, you know, some big band 30s or 40s song, and he's, this was their song. And the, watching this 93-year-old man stroking his wife's face because he knew she was going to die and it wouldn't be long, listening to her, her smile at him, and, she, and he would say, I don't know how many other guys loved you, but I know I was the best one. And, and knowing that he's going to lose his wife within maybe days and watching her just look at him be like, and look at others and say, he likes me. And to watch these 90-something-year-olds just, you could tell they still enjoyed each other you know some of you have been a christian for a long time and jesus is something that just fits in where it fits in you know what's interesting is you probably serve jesus just like the church at ephesus did they served god with all of their might and they did all these things but never took time for their god to enjoy personal relationship time with god do we not do that? Do we not do that? Uh, you know, like sometimes in our marriages where we are like, oh, I'm doing all this stuff for you. Uh, why can't you be satisfied? And maybe your spouse says, you know what I would really just like? I'd just like a little bit more of time with you. You know, are we at that point? Are you at that point where you would say, uh, where you could say, uh, you know, you used to, you, you used to be so excited about the Lord, but other things, you know, maybe some sinful things, maybe just some earthly things have distracted that. Because when we ask, what makes me lose my honeymoon love for God? It's either sinful things or just simply earthly distractions that crowd out the life of Jesus Christ. You know, we're like a gun barrel, straight doctrinally, but without any, but without any bullet, without any powder inside of it, and it doesn't have any effect and we allow distractions to push out God. Think about this. How much prayer time do you really have? How much time do you spend in God's Word? Do you just fit in God where He fits? Do you fit in church where it fits for you? You know, I was you know, just noticing just out back, you know, we've got a, you know, a baseball diamond. And I thought, well, maybe they're just having, you know, I saw a game starting to form there. I thought, well, maybe they're just having, uh, you know, a little, maybe it's a practice. Maybe they're just going to have a game, uh, you know, two hours and be done for church. No, there's been games going on, you know, all day. You know, people who probably skipped the worship of God for a sport. Folks, um, sports will be long gone once we die and go to heaven, but God will be around. And we'll, wh why are we, wh why do we emphasize something such as sports over the top? of our God. Do you make sure you have the time that God expects that we ought to have with the Lord? So here's Christ's command. Number four, we're wrapping it up here. Number four, Christ's command, once he rebukes them, he commands them this. He says in verse number five, he gives three rapid instructions. He says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. He says, I want you to first remember. Remember how things were when you first got saved. Remember how, yes, maybe you served me, but remember how you, you may not have known all your doctrine, but you were just so excited about loving Jesus, about witnessing for Jesus, about being around Jesus, about praying to him, and about enjoying him and enjoying your Bible. He says, you remember that? 
Remember it. He says, remember it. And then he says in verse 5, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. You know what he says? If you've left your first love when it comes to Jesus, your honeymoon love for Jesus, you know what he says you need to do? You need to get right with God. Now, a lot of us, you know what that takes is a little bit of humility because plenty of us want to say, well, maybe I, ought, I need to grow in this area a little bit. You know, I've been doing a lot. You know, I serve God a lot, just like the church at Ephesus. I've got right doctrine, just like the church at Ephesus. I, I, don't, I don't allow these big sins into my life, just like the church at Ephesus. I endure, just like the church at Ephesus. And so we think, well, I should probably, I do need to grow in my relationship with God. God says, no, you don't need to grow. You need to, you need to repent of sin. God's that serious about it. God is that serious about it. You know, if you were having one of those marital talks where your spouse says, we've lost the honeymoon love, you know, is it really going to help her out very much if you say, yeah, you know what, I could probably grow a little bit in that area. But I do all these other things for you, but I'll try to grow in that area. You think that's going to get you very far, men, with your wives? No. What's going to get you somewhere, hopefully? Just say, sweetheart, I am so sorry. I didn't realize that that had happened. Forgive me. What can we do to make it better? Uh, now that'll get you, hopefully, will get you somewhere. If you're doing it with sincerity, same thing with God. He says, I don't want to just hear, oh, I need to grow a little bit. God says, no, if you have abandoned your first love, you need to remember, repent, and then he says, and do the first works. Repeat. You need to remember, repent, and repeat. Do the first works. Go back to the first, to the way uh, that life was at the beginning. He says, don't, don't neglect the serving. Don't neglect the doctrine. Don't neglect your intolerance for sin. He says, but go back to a relationship with me the way it was at the beginning. Verse 5 says, or else. I'm just going to tell you this. When God says, or else, we better take note. <laughs> when God says, or else. Notice what he says. Now, you, you go back and do the first works. Act, you know, you know, have that relationship with me that we used to have, or else. He says, I'll come unto thee quickly, listen, and I will remove thy candlestick out of its place except thou repent oh, wait what, what was the candlestick remember what the candlestick was it was the churches you know what jesus says you repent don't treat this as just something you need to grow in but if you have neglected your relationship with god for the sake of other good things he says repent get it right with god he says or else i'll take out your church no, 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 no. God wouldn't do that. God needs this church. Folks, God doesn't need anything. He says, you repent or I'll take out your church. You know something? If you went to Ephesus today, you know what you'd find? You'd still find the ruins of, uh, I mean, they're ruins, but at least you'd find that, you know, the temples that were there. You'd find the theater that was there. You'd find so many things in the city of Ephesus. You know what you won't find? The church. You know why? It's gone. Well, why is it gone? I got a really good guess. That they weren't willing to come back to their first love. But, but they had good doctrine. They sure did. And they didn't allow all that immorality and drunkenness and, and criminal stuff and all that stuff. They didn't allow it in their church. You're absolutely right. Well, they, 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 they served God. They had all these service activities going on. You're absolutely right. God got rid of their church because they would not return to their first love folks can i say this 
I suspect, even in a church this size, that there's a lot of service activities, there's a lot of serving the Lord, people who lose strength because they're serving God. You know what God says? God says He will take away Bible Baptist Church if we don't get back to our first love. No, no, no. God needs, no, God doesn't need anybody. God, God, God only needs himself, and he has himself. And so God can accomplish what he needs to accomplish with other people. He can get rid of this church and do it with someone else. No, no. He did it with the church at Ephesus. And God is very blunt in saying, or else, return to your first love. Make our relationship what it is, or else. You know, again, go back to that little sit-down meeting you're having with your spouse where, you know, especially, I think, from a guy's perspective, where the guy's talking with his wife, the wife says, you know, I appreciate all you do for me, but we don't have a relationship really anymore. And the guy just says, oh, well, you know, I, I, you know we'll try to grow in it, but I don't think it's a big deal. How long do you think that marriage is going to last? She may pack up in not too long. You know it. Same thing in the church relationship with God. He says, you return to your first love, or I can take out your church. Here's number five, and we're going to do this just in a moment, and we'll be done. It's Christ's promise. Verse number seven. He says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So here's um, Jesus' promise. He says, to him that overcometh. Uh, you know, referring to uh, you know, the believers that were there. He says, to him that overcometh. He says, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So this dying church, this church that didn't even know that they were dying, is pointed to, a, to the tree of life to, to realize, listen, you have got to come back to a vital relationship and life with Jesus Christ. He says, or else. Folks, having right doctrine, having an intolerance for sin, uh, enduring, serving God with a lot of service activities. God compliments all of them. But he says, listen, if you're not going to combine it with a relationship with me where we have time together, God says, I'll take away your church. Folks, that ought to sober us. That ought to sober us a lot. What, um, what gets in the way of your prayer time? What gets in the way of your devotions? What gets in the way of going to church? What gets in the way, and obviously, you know, okay, coronavirus, I understand, okay? I'm talking about when there's no, no pandemic. What gets in the way of you enjoying God? What gets in the way of it, folks? Um, you know, if it was our marriage on the line, we might make some radical changes. Folks, uh, our church, the church here could be on the line. We don't even know it. The church of Ephesus didn't even really realize it. They didn't do anything about it. Folks, let's be sure that if nothing else, there is nothing sinful or even just an earthly distraction that is keeping us from our relationship with God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, um, thank you for loving us first and thank you for your faithfulness to us. And um, I pray that you would just help me. Lord, I want to have more time in prayer. I want to enjoy you more. Lord, I pray that you just um, give me give me the boldness to change priorities when needed. Help me to, um, to have that relationship with you I ought to have. I pray the same for this church body. Um, Lord, would you change us?